This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. I'm at the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and uh, then we'll, uh, we'll get started. Pray with me if you would, please. Our Lord, we thank you for this day and for all that it means to us. For Lord, it means everything to us. Thank you for dying for us, dying in our place. Thank you for being buried and being raised on the third day. We thank you that you have defeated death, that you have defeated sin, that you have, uh, that you have imparted to us new life and fresh hope. And we just pray, Lord, that today you would speak to us, that you would renew hope in all of your people. And Lord, that for those who may not know you today, I pray that you would give eternal hope for the first time. In your name we ask these things. Spirit of God, open our eyes to behold the wondrous truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to ask you this morning to start off with what is your greatest fear? What is your greatest fear? What are you most afraid of? I mean, if you were to be honest and say, this is what really scares me, what would you say? You know, every now and then they do surveys where they will um, survey folks and list, I've read a number of these, list people's top fears, like the top 10 fear list. And you probably find yourself on there somewhere. Not that people are afraid of you, I don't mean that, but that, uh, but that your fear would somehow turn up there. It's usually on there. One survey that was done that I read, the top fear of all Americans surveyed, the top fear was this, the fear of giving a speech in public. So if you guys would pray for me, I don't know if I can make it through this, I'm <laughs> terrified, but, uh, but that was the number one fear. The number one fear was giving a speech in public. On that same list, the number three fear was the fear of death. The fear of death. And that led the theologian Jerry Seinfeld to remark, So you're telling me that at a funeral, most people would rather be the guy in the coffin than have to stand up and give a eulogy. (laughs) I think the survey is wrong I don't believe that giving a public speech is our greatest fear. I believe the greatest human fear is the fear of death. The fear of death is the greatest human fear. If you look at other fears on the list, they're connected to death. The fear of flying. Uh, there's no fear of relaxing you know, up in the air and flying, unless it's maybe the person next to you sneezing on you or a kid crying or, or, or something or having to drink that dreadful coffee on the flight. I mean, but there's no real fear. The fear is if the plane stops flying, that's the fear and crashes and you die. Another one's the fear of heights. As long as we're being honest, that would be probably one of mine on the list. I don't like heights. I don't mind heights, but I don't like heights where there's like not much of a barrier between me and the long way down. So the fear is not being up high. The fear is that I fall and that I die. Fear of death. When you think about it, we have no greater concern than death. There's no greater concern for any of us today than death. It is coming. Death is coming. Happy Easter. Death is coming. There is no escape 
from death. Death is the great equalizer. It's an equal opportunity killer, shall we say. Everyone will die. It does not matter your age. Death is coming. It does not matter your socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter how intelligent you are, how fit you are, how healthy you've eaten all of these years. It doesn't matter uh, what your skills are. It doesn't matter what your race or what your gender is. Death is coming for all of us. Most of us tend to ignore death because we're not very comfortable talking about death, are we? I mean, I'm making a few little laughs, little jokes here so make, to ease the tension a tad, but most of us aren't very comfortable talking about death. We sort of ignore it. We push it to the side. I mean, think about Frisco, which is all about youth and life and new. What do we do with our dead people? I mean, can you even locate a cemetery in Frisco? You drive by new housing developments. You drive by shopping. You drive by sports fields. But you don't drive by cemeteries because we really don't want to think about gravestones and what happens to dead people and to have that like right in the open by the tollway or something to remind us of the greatest concern, if not our greatest fear, at least our greatest concern, death. So why am I talking about death this morning? Well, because Easter is the antidote to death. The Easter story is the ultimate anti-death story. It is the ultimate anti-death story. It is the story of life. It is the story of life over death, Christ's victory over death. The story of Easter is not just the story of life. It is the story of life defeating death. The story of Easter, the true story of Easter, the story of Easter is death defeating. It is death defying. It is death dominating. It is death annihilating. It is death destroying. It is death dethroning. What happens at Easter is that Jesus rises to defeat death. If death is our greatest fear, if death is our greatest concern, then Easter provides our greatest hope. The resurrection provides our greatest assurance, our greatest hope to dealing with our greatest fear. And with that in mind, I want to read 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 26. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Verse 26 The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Well, here's what's going on in this passage. Paul is writing to this newer church in Corinth, the Corinthian church, 
and he is just prior to what we've read, he has just been uh, laying out a case for the resurrection. Some of them are questioning whether people will be raised in the future. And so what Paul is saying is that if people aren't raised, then Christ wasn't raised. And if Christ wasn't raised, then your faith is a sham. You're holding counterfeit bills. It's no good. If Christ is not raised, you have no hope. And so after building this great argument that Christ has been raised, as a matter of fact, he appeared to over 500 people, he says, that Jesus died, was buried, and was raised. He establishes that fact at the beginning of the chapter. And Jesus' resurrection is so important because Jesus' resurrection demonstrates that what he sought to accomplish in his death on the cross was really accomplished. You see, the Bible teaches us that God is holy. He's perfect. He's absolutely righteous. And God requires that of his people as well. We're required to be perfect. We're required to be holy. We're required to be absolutely righteous just as he is. But none of us live up to that standard, the standard of perfection. And so we all... Uh, We all are in God's debt for our many sins. We are all to be judged and condemned for our many sins. And this is why he sends Jesus, who's the perfect God and perfect man, Jesus the God-man, to die for us. For he pays the price that we have earned by our sins. Jesus is perfect. He never sinned. He kept God's law fully. And then he died on behalf of us. And so God punished his own son, Jesus, for our sins. That's the good news. That's what we celebrated Friday on Good Friday. That's why it's called Good Friday. It's the most gruesome day in all of history. When God, the God-man, died for us, but also the most glorious day because he paid the price for our sins. He was buried, and on the third day he rose, defeating the power of death, defeating the power of sin. And so it demonstrates that His price paid for our sins was received by God. He was who he said he was. He did what he said he would do. And now he's raised, defeating uh, death. If Jesus wasn't raised, Paul says, then our faith is a sham. But, verse 20, where we first read, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So there's two points he's going to make in this passage about the significance of, of the resurrection of Jesus. Two points about the significance of the resurrection of Jesus. The first one is this, that his resurrection guarantees our resurrection. His resurrection guarantees our resurrection. And he makes that point with two analogies, kind of two illustrations. Here's the first one. As Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Verse, skip down to verse 23. But each in his order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So he's using an analogy that means nothing to most of us here today. He's talking about firstfruits. What are firstfruits? Because he says Christ's resurrection, the illustration he uses, it's like the firstfruits. And then all of those who have fallen asleep in Christ will be raised later. Firstfruits was, a, uh, was a, a term that was used in the Old Covenant in the Old Testament. And it meant that when a farmer planted his crops, the very first crops to ripen, uh, usually they ripened in stages, so the very first crops to ripen were called the first fruits. So as soon as you saw uh, an ear of grain, uh, the first ears of grain or corn or whatever it was you were growing, you would pluck those 
before the harvest, you would pluck these first fruits, the first crops, and you would offer them as an offering to the Lord. And what were you saying in that offering to the Lord? You were saying, thank you for a harvest. We don't have the full harvest yet, but we've got the first fruits. And that means that God was good, God was faithful, the rains came, and we're going to have a crop. And so it's a celebration. The first fruits are the promise that the harvest is coming, and it's offered to God in worship. And so that's what he says. That's what Jesus is. Here's the key. The first harvested crops are proof that a harvest is coming. Jesus is the first fruits, verse 23, and then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits. It's the first. His is the first ear of grain, we might say, but there's coming a huge harvest. He's only the first. There is a huge harvest of resurrections that are coming. There's a huge harvest of those who are dead who are going to come to life. And the proof of that, just like the initial crop proves there's a harvest coming, the proof of that is that Jesus was raised. He was raised to defeat the power of death so that those who believe in him may know for certain that they will be raised one day as well. What a great promise this is. What a great hope this is. This is the answer to the fear of death. Really, even death is not the greatest fear. It's what happens for eternity after death that is most concerning. And the promise is for those in Christ that we will have eternal life. Those who believe in Jesus have eternal life. And we look back 2,000 years to the resurrection and say, there's the first fruits, there's the promise. Now, we don't celebrate Easter as if it's about us. Uh, It's not about us. It is about Jesus. But it has something to say. The resurrection day has something to say to us. It proves something to us. It communicates and announces something to us. Because he was raised from the dead, so shall we. His resurrection guarantees our resurrection. It's, It's so certain, Paul doesn't even call it death here in verse 23. Uh, he says, but each in his order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 20. In Christ has, uh, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. He doesn't even call it death. He said it's, it's, you're, it's like your body's asleep. Present with the Lord, our spirits continue on. Uh, to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord, Paul says. So the believer who dies, our spirit is present with God instantaneously. But the body is like, it's just asleep. It's just asleep. And when Christ comes, all will be raised from the dead who believe in Jesus. So he's shifting their perspective. And he's saying, yes, the resurrection's a big deal. Because it is our guarantee of a future. That's the first analogy. His resurrection guarantees ours. Why? He uses the first fruits analogy. The second thing he does is he uses the analogy of Adam and Christ. This isn't really an analogy. This is a point of instruction. Verse 21. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in its order. And so that's what we just read. Just as death came from a man, so resurrection comes from a man. So he's talking about two men here. He's talking about Adam, who was the first man created by God in the first chapter of Genesis at the very beginning, Adam and Eve. And then he's talking about Jesus Christ. So the passage here goes all the way back to the beginning. 
And Paul is making the point here that at creation, Adam and Eve were created. They were placed in a garden paradise. They were without sin. They had perfect relationship with God and perfect relationship with one another. There was no sin. There was no death. There was no sorrow. There was no pain and difficulty. They lived in a perfect paradise. And God told them, provided food for them everywhere to eat, and told them you may eat of anything, any tree, um, but you may not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So they had yes everywhere, and they had a little no. That's the Christian life, by the way. If your impression of the Christian life is that it's all no's, that's not biblical. The Christian life is yes everywhere, with some no's, things that defy God, harm us, harm others. There are no's in the Bible. But it's primarily a great set of yeses in Christ uh, that we get to live a life for him. So they have all these yeses and they have this big no. Well, they're tempted by a serpent uh, who is Satan and they eat. And then just as God promised, death comes. They are uh, they're banned, they're kicked out of the garden and they eventually die and Everyone who comes after them dies. Everyone who comes after them, they sin, they fall, and their fall affects and infects us all. So that their falling, their sin affects us. We are, we are in Adam. We are all born in Adam. We are all born as those who sin. And we ratify the fact that we are in Adam daily when we make choices to sin against God's word. So we are just like um, our father Adam. We want to do, by nature, we want to do what we want to do. That's how we are naturally wired. We're not wired to do what God wants us to do. We're wired to do what we want to do. And so Adam and his fall shows up daily in our lives. It shows up daily in the world around us. shows up daily in our culture. The fall from Genesis 3 shows up in all of us and all around us as we see and as we do deceive. As we see stealing and greed, pride, lust. These are all effects of the fall. Adultery, abuse, selfishness, drunkenness materialism, the love of things instead of the love of God, ungratefulness, disrespect and disobedience to parents, judgmentalism, racism, self-righteousness, jealousy, gossip, unbelief, unforgiveness, bitterness, apathy, on and on and on we could go. The, the, the results of the fall. And so we are all born in Adam, and we all live a certain way because of that. The Bible says that all have sinned, every one of us, and have fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible also says that the wages of sin, that is, what you earn for your sins, what I earn for my sins, is death. It is physical death, and it is spiritual death. So in Adam, we all die. That's what he says, verse 21. For as a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, all die. We all act like Adam, and we all die. But not everyone is in Adam. 
Because what he says next is, as, as a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. So he's saying there's two ways to exist. We can be in Adam, which is in our natural existence, or we can be in Christ. What's the difference? Death and life. What's the difference? Eternal condemnation, eternal joy. What's the difference? Spiritually dead to God, spiritually alive to God. What's the difference? Guilty, forgiven. We can be in Christ and then we receive life. We act like Adam by nature, but if we come to believe in Jesus, we have new life. We have new life. We have new desires. Our sins are forgiven. See, we are in Adam by our natural birth, and we become in Christ by a new spiritual birth. Not by doing good works. Not by coming. I don't get in Christ by coming to church, by praying prayers, by giving my money away, by reading the Bible. I don't get in Christ by doing any good works on my own. I get in Christ by believing in Him by faith, by receiving what He did for me in the cross and in the resurrection. That's how we become in Christ. What he's saying is there's two representatives. You're on a team. Everybody's on a team. You're on Adam's team, and you're headed for destruction. You're on Christ's team, which is kind of a cheesy way to speak about it, but you're a believer in Christ, uh, and you're re- you've received eternal life, and you will receive resurrection to eternal Life in His presence. So if we turn from our sin and if we trust in Christ, we receive the promise of eternal life. The future resurrection and eternal life isn't determined by what we do. It's determined by whom we identify with. With whom do you identify? Well, I'm not identifying with anybody. You're an atom. I never really thought about it. You're an atom. That's natural. That's who we all are. But if you're in Christ, there is this tremendous hope. We will be raised by Him. We will be raised with Him. We will be raised for Him. That is the hope. That just as He was raised the first fruits, all of those who are in Him will be raised at the harvest. Coming a day when those who are in Christ will come up out of the grave, their bodies will be joined with their spirits who go on living, and they will receive new life, eternal resurrection bodies to be with him forever. So his resurrection guarantees ours. Why? He's the first fruits, we're the harvest. Number two, you're either in Adam or Christ. If you're in Christ, you're going to be raised with him. And here's the second big idea from the text today, is that his resurrection kills death. If death is our greatest fear or our greatest concern, Easter is our greatest hope. Christ's resurrection is our greatest hope. See, here's the thing about Jesus' resurrection. It's the first domino, and it sets off a pattern. Have you ever lined up dominoes when you were a kid? Actually, there's people that do this as adults. I saw one of like 200,000 dominoes uh, set up. It was thoroughly amazing for about a few minutes. I don't know. They, it gets a lot of time for a, for a bang of a couple minutes, but I saw one where like 200,000 dominoes went down. But it all starts with a single domino. There's one that hits, and that starts a chain. That starts motion. That starts movement. And that is what Jesus' 
resurrection does. It sets in motion this unstoppable progress of life over death. And if you've believed in Jesus, that life has touched you. If you've trusted Christ, that life is in you today. He's bringing new life to his creation and to his people. You know, outside we are experiencing a change of seasons. It may not have looked at like that this, this morning uh, when it uh, was quite dark, rainy. Maybe that was your top ten fear list, the fear of thunderstorms or whatever, being struck by lightning or something. But, so this morning it didn't look like it, but yesterday it looked like the seasons were changing. And uh, we had our first bud in our fr- front yard of a tulip. I know appropriate. Uh, but we had our first bud of a tulip, a little theological humor that wasn't very funny. But anyway, uh, because no one laughed. But uh, anyway, we had our first bud, and uh, I thought, this is a sign. The other tulips are not budded. There's nothing else much budding in the yard. But this is the sign that we're moving from winter into spring. Things are starting to green. There's signs that things are changing. And that's what the resurrection is. The resurrection is glorious. I don't want to say it's just the first flower. It's glorious. It's the unique flower. There's no flower like Jesus and his resurrected life for sure. He stands out. He's worshipped. So he's glorious. So I don't mean to say he's one in the garden. But I do mean to say this, that his bud, his flowering, his glorious resurrection means that the garden will be in full bloom very soon. And it's already starting. Things are starting to green. He is making all things new. And the first move was the first domino. Life is spreading in. The winter is going away, and he is recreating all things. And the evidence of that right now is new lives in Christ. We don't see the creation being renewed. We don't see our bodies being renewed. Quite the opposite. Those the older folks in the room will test to give me an amen if they had the energy. Would give me an amen on that. So the, our bodies are decaying and becoming more decrepit. So our bodies and the environment around us doesn't appear to be in renewal. But our spirits are in renewal. We are moving quickly to eternity with him. He has placed his life in us. His resurrection has started the process of killing death. When will this all happen? When will this harvest be brought in? We'll look at verse 23. Each in its own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So when Jesus returns, he will call forth his people. We will receive resurrection bodies. At that time, that's when the harvest will recur, occur, and it'll be glorious. Paul looks forward to this, and, and later in the chapter he talks about it. Verse 42, so it is with the resurrection of the dead, that's talking about believers, us, What is sown is perishable. That means what is planted. What's planted in the ground is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. Your your body's going to die as a perishable body, but it's going to be raised imperishable, never to decay, never to die, to live eternal. What is uh, it is sown in dishonor? It is raised in glory. So the body doesn't move to strength. The body moves to weakness. But it's going to be raised in glory, light, power, reflective of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Most who die, unless they're struck by accident, you know, at the 
the prime of life and their strength. Most who die have a depletion of energy, a depletion of strength. Life moves out of them slowly oftentimes. And to be with someone when they die, it is, it is a place of great weakness. They lose their mental faculties oftentimes, their physical faculties. Their organs begin to cease to work. And death is about weakness. But the resurrection is about power. He goes on to say, it is a sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. This is really good news. That we're, we die physical, but we ra- we're raised in spiritual bodies. Never to see decay, never to experience pain, never to experience darkness, never to be emotionally distraught, never to be mentally confused, never to be afraid in a sinful sort of a way but to experience life as it was created to be face-to-face with God. That's what's coming for those who believe in Jesus Christ. His resurrection kills death and provides the way for this kind of life for all who would believe. He goes down, verse 47, The first man was from the earth a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As, As was the man of dust, Adam, so also are those who are of the dust, and is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born in the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So the one who has been raised, we will bear his image in glory, sinless, because of his grace one day in heaven at his return. He, his resurrection sets all of this in motion. It will be completed at his return Verse 25, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The last enemy to be destroyed. He will dethrone death permanently, forever. And we will live forever in his presence. There is no better news than this. There is no greater hope than this. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen this afternoon. I don't know what's going to happen in a year, five years, ten years. But in Christ, we know for certain what's happening one day is that he will return and that we will spring to life out of a grave and spend eternity with him because his resurrection guarantees ours because he has killed death. An illustration that's used frequently to describe the kind of period that we live in between Christ's resurrection and his return has been the illustration of D-Day and V-E Day. D-Day was the day, June 6, 1944, when the Allied troops stormed the beaches of Normandy in World War II and won a a decisive victory uh, over the Nazis. So that was a, a day of decisive. That attack really won the war. But there were still months of skirmishes that occurred after that. That wasn't the day that Germany... Uh, declared unconditional surrender to the Allied forces. That happened the next year, the next May. So there were these months, almost a year, there was this 10 or 11 months, whatever it was, before they unconditionally surrendered and there were parades. That was called VE Day, Victory in Europe Day. And so that was when the final celebration took place. The war was recognized as over, and there was this celebration. The battle was turned, the battle was essentially won at D-Day, but there were still these skirmishes until the day of victory a year later, V-E Day. 
Jesus' resurrection from the tomb, his appearance to others, his power, that's D-Day. That's when the devil is dealt a decisive blow. That's when the war is won. That is when sin is defeated. That is when death is delivered a, well, a death blow. That's when death is killed by the resurrection of Jesus. But there are still skirmishes. We still die. Until there is no more death, there is not the great day of victory. There is still, there's still opposition to Christ. And so there are these skirmishes today where God's truth goes forth and lives are changed and people receive new life. Where the dead hearts come to life. The dead soul comes to life. The dark heart is enlightened. That's what's happening right now. And one day he will return. That will be VE Day, the victory in Europe Day, using the illustration of the war. That will be the day when there will be a glorious celebration. Not a parade, but a feast. An eternal celebration with Jesus. Listen, if you've never believed in Christ, I I urge you to do so today. And here's why. Because eternity hangs in the balance. Uh, This isn't about having a better day. This isn't about moving from the winter to the spring of your life. This isn't about moving from depression to happiness, though that certainly may occur. It's not about moving from things are really rough to things getting a lot better. This is about moving from death to life. This is about moving from uh, the wrath of God to the grace and mercy of God. This is about moving from destination headed to hell to destination headed to heaven. There's nothing more significant. Take the list of fears, none of them matter. Spiders don't matter compared to eternal judgment before God. There's nothing that matters. There's no fear. There's no concern. I know you're burdened today. I'm burdened. I don't mean to minimize any of the problems that you're challenged or challenges you're facing. No problem you have today measures standing before a holy God and giving an account for your life one day. There's, there's no problem that counts like that one. And yet we can stand before God and say, I believe in Jesus. I trusted Christ as my Savior. And we, we will hear before God the Father, welcome, for we have been forgiven in Jesus. Not because of what we did, but because of what he did. We can be in Adam, that is our natural self, or we can be in Christ, forgiven and changed for all eternity by the presence of God. So how do you do that? How do you believe? You simply turn from your sin and you turn to Christ and you say, I believe that you died for my sin. You could just express this to him. Jesus, I believe you died for my sin. I need my sins forgiven. I want to live a new life. I want to know you. I want to experience you. I want to walk with you. I want to experience eternal life forever with you. Give me new life. Change me. I believe. You can just communicate in your own words that way to him. And here's his promise. Not my promise, his promise. Whoever comes to me, I'll never cast him out. So if you come sincerely in faith, repenting and turning from your sin, leaving behind, desiring, desiring, wanting to leave behind what he calls sin, and believe in him, if you come with that, trusting him alone, you receive eternal life. And this, this, would, be the, this would be the Easter that changes them all. For you're identifying with the one, the first fruit, and you're part of the harvest. You're moving from Adam to Christ by his grace. It's his love that enables us. It's his mercy, his kindness, his grace. This is grace. It's not what we do. It's what he did for us. It's a gift. It's a present. It's given to us. It's offered to us. We must receive by faith. And so I urge you to do that today. 
If you are a believer here today, then realize that the resurrected one lives in you. Everything has changed. God himself has taken residence in your soul. His spirit is in you. His power is in you. And your future is way more glorious than you can imagine. It's way better. You paint the most wonderful picture that you can imagine in your mind, it's infinitely better. It's infinitely better because the imagination that you imagine that with is a fallen imagination. When our imagination is perfected in Christ, we will see him and we'll be like him. Uh, We will be as he is, the scripture says, in a resurrected body. So today is a day to celebrate. Today is a day to look forward. Today is a day to look backward at what he did for us in history, to look present, realizing he's in us and his power within in us, and to look future for that day and allow that day to drive this day. Allow that day to provide hope for this day. Allow that day to determine the choices we make this day. Allow that day to drive everything in our lives for it's coming quickly. It's coming quickly. And here's what it'll be like. I know we already read this. You don't usually associate this passage with Resurrection Sunday, perhaps, but this is where we're headed. I'm going to read the passage that we read together in worship today with this context, that because he's risen, we will be risen, and this will be our reality. Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Listen, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And that is all because he's out of the grave and he is alive and he has imparted life to all those who believe. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.